I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, intense negotiations. The extended truce between Israel and Hamas has entered its fifth day with more hostage exchanges in sight. How the U.S. plays its part as peacemaker. Operation Rescue. The story of 41 miners saved from a collapsed mining facility in India. A call to conduct. The Supreme Court makes a formal announcement regarding ethical concerns. We have a report and reaction. And miraculous dedication. Learn more about the first church dedicated to Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal. These stories add more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. James of the Marches. Our top story tonight, the war in the Middle East. As day five of an extended truce comes to an end, word the Hamas has released more hostages. Israeli Defense Forces say 12 people, 10 citizens and two Thai nationals are now back in Israel. In return, 30 Palestinian prisoners have been released as part of a negotiated deal. Meanwhile, CIA Chief William Burns is in Qatar to push for a broader hostage deal. He is meeting with his Israeli and Egyptian counterparts, as well as Qatari officials. He is reportedly trying to push for talks that would include the release of men and soldiers. And we are also learning tonight no Americans currently being held in captivity by Hamas will be free today. At the same time, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will soon travel to Israel and the West Bank. He will arrive there just as the pause in the fighting expires. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, good evening to you. As President Joe Biden flew off to Georgia today, his top diplomat was in Europe attending meetings with NATO leaders focused on Ukraine. And while there, Secretary of State Antony Blinken addressed the hostage situation as well. In Belgium, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg standing side by side at a news conference. And of course, uh, we will be talking about the uh, uh, crisis in Gaza uh, and the, uh, the broader Middle East. Both men welcoming the continuing ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas conflict and the release of hostages. Among them, 85-year-old Yaffa Adar. She was applauded and cheered while leaving the hospital, receiving hugs and kisses as she walked. Like you, uh, Jens, uh, I am very pleased to see hostages returning uh, home, coming back uh, to be with uh, their loved ones. And we're determined to continue that for uh, as long as possible. The secretary will return to the Middle East in a few days as the U.S. hopes to find a way to extend the ceasefire in Gaza and get more hostages released. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden did not stop to answer questions about the Middle East when he left the White House this morning. First Lady Jill Biden joined him on a trip to Georgia to attend the tribute service for former First Lady Rosalind Carter. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Rosalind Carter died on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Today's memorial provided a rare opportunity for the presidents and first ladies from several administrations to join together. Secretary Clinton and Dr. Biden, we also welcome your lovely husbands. <laughs> Former President Jimmy Carter also made the trip. Despite his condition in hospice, he's 99 years old. Now back to the war in the Middle East. Among the hostages released today, nine women and a 17-year-old. Also tonight, the White House is putting greater pressure on Israel to try to avoid large-scale civilian casualties as it battles Hamas in the Gaza Strip. 
at the White House. Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. While dozens of hostages have been released, many more still remain in captivity. Now we focus on one hostage still being held. 26-year-old Guy Ilus. He's been missing since the October 7th attacks by Hamas. His mother, Doris Lieber, has campaigned tirelessly for help to get her son released. And she joins us now. Adoris, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Uh, first off, I'm curious, have you received any information about your son? No. Um, every day I get a phone call from my uh, army representative, and it's so far the same that uh, the names were issued, and anybody that was informed of the, you know, kids or women that are uh, on the list are informed, but also the ones that are not on the list get this information, and it's the same every day. Mm. I'm so sure, far. yeah, and I'm sure it's so frustrating, uh, but does it at least give you maybe some hope, this ongoing release of the hostages, that maybe Guy will be freed soon? Um of course it gives me hope. It gives me a lot of joy to see, you know, the kids coming back. We're, you know, we're like a big family here. So everybody that comes back, every mother, every kid is great joy. Uh, but still, it's not my son. And every day it's it's heartbreaking to get that, you know, message that he's... And I, and I, I know that it's going to take time. There's still, you know, elderly children... A lot of women, over 30 women, that will be rela released before he does. And, uh, you know, watching the news constantly and anything that, you know, happens is great fear, great uh, tension. You know, every day is like, I just hope nobody shoots so it doesn't, you know, um, stop this whole procedure. So it's a tense, tense time. Yeah, indeed. Curious, how are you feeling about how your government is handling all this, how Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is handling the conflict? And do you think that he's doing enough to get the hostages back? That's such a difficult question, and it's so out of my league. It's like um, I have no idea what is good, what is bad. Um, there are conversations about... Uh, Let's go back to war. That will, you know, keep on the pressure to release everybody. And there's the voices that are saying, let's keep patient and, you know, go through this procedure. So in any case, I, I don't I don't think about what Benjamin's doing or what's his policy, because I have no power there anyway. So I, I have enough to think about or to fear about without that. So it's it's nothing I can deal with. Yeah, you're a mother, and you're thinking about your son right now. And if Guy were to be watching this right now, what would you tell him, Doris? That I'm doing anything, everything that I can to take him out, if it's interviews, if it's praying, if it's uh, meeting with people to stay strong enough to take care of him when he comes home. Um, if I could, I'd, I'd go switch with him, but I can't. Yeah. Doris, anything else that you would like our audience to know? You know, just to be our voice, stand up with us, make anybody in your, I don't know, government be aware of this. 
you know, shout out your voice that, you know, these are civilians. This is my son that I want back. He's my only son. I'm, I'm a single mother. He's all I have. Doris, so do your best. Absolutely. Doris, we're praying for you right now and for your son and everyone Thank over there. You. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Another major story we are following, the health of the Holy Father. Today, the Vatican says that Pope Francis is improving after suffering from the flu and lung inflammation, but he will not travel to Dubai later this week. Pope Francis had been set to attend a conference on caring for the environment. He canceled that trip on the advice of his doctors. The Holy See Press Office says Pope Francis will hold his weekly talk with pilgrims tomorrow. At the Vatican. Well, Finland is set to close its last border crossing with Russia. The Nordic country says the decision was made over concerns about migration. Finland's prime minister accuses Moscow of sending around 900 migrants into the country after it joined NATO. The Kremlin denies the claim. Uh, scenes of joy in India after 41 construction workers trapped in a tunnel for more than two weeks were rescued. The workers were trapped underneath a collapsed mountain tunnel for 17 days. The rescue operation even resorted to manual drilling through the rubble. Those trapped were supplied with food and oxygen through a small pipe. The rescued workers were greeted by family members. Uh, we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including question of faith. An all-female Catholic college says it will admit biological men who identify as women. We have analysis. Plus, the Supreme Court reacts to recent criticism from some members of Congress. of Fort Wayne South Bend is speaking out about the decision by an all-women's Catholic college in Indiana to admit biological men who identify as women. In a statement yesterday, Bishop Kevin Rhodes said the decision by St. Mary's College in South Bend is at odds with the Catholic teaching. He added that the school's desire to show hospitality to people who identify as transgender is not the problem. The problem is a Catholic women's college embracing a definition of a woman that is not Catholic. We go now to Amber Duke, Washington editor at The Spectator. Amber, great to have you back on. A lot to get to, but first, let's talk a little bit more about St. Mary's College. I mean, apparently the college president put out an email, email that is stating in part that the school is, quote, by no means the first Catholic women's college to adopt a policy with this scope and that by admitting those who identify as women, quote, encompasses our commitment to operate as a Catholic women's college. Amber, your thoughts on that? It's just beyond disturbing and unfortunately um, a trend among many Catholic colleges to really uh, reject traditional Catholic theology and Catholic teaching. I mean, the reality is that if you read about the church's stance on gender ideology in a document from Bishop Burbage from the Arlington Diocese, he lays out very clearly that the church is required and its, its patrons are required to adhere to biological truth, that God did not put people in the wrong bodies and that God did not make it so that people could become a member of the opposite sex. He created them man and woman. And for a Catholic college to suggest that a man who believes he is a woman is somehow on equal par and deserves the same protection as a biological woman is just wrong. And I feel so deeply for the young women there who are having to go through this situation um, without having the power available to them to properly fight back and protect their own rights. Yeah, and as a parent, 
if I'm sending my daughter to a Catholic college that is single sex, I mean, there's a reason for that. So when the school changes its policy like this, Amber, what kind of message do you think it sends to parents and also students? I think it's a good reminder to parents to be very careful about where they send their kids to college and how they're spending their money. I think this would definitely be grounds for a transfer, right? If you went into this college and paid all of this money, believing that your daughter was going to be able to have a single sex space and that was violated by the president there. I mean, I, at the very least, you should get a refund. You should definitely send your daughter somewhere where they're interested in actually protecting her rights. I just can't imagine both for the parents and the young women being put in that situation and having to make such a difficult decision that impacts both their safety, their mental health, as well as their professional future. It's really just a shame to see. Yeah, Amber, something else I'm going to talk about, you know, the holiday season, it's upon us right now. And uh, most re retailers, that is, have their Christmas items on full display, including Target. In fact, a few of their items are, are raising eyebrows right now, including a gay pride nutcracker figure and Santa Claus with a same-sex pride rainbow flag. Amber, what do you make of uh, Target's decision here to sell these items around the Christmas holiday, especially after it received so much customer backlash for, you know, some of its LGBTQ products during so-called Pride Month? Right. I mean, I never expect corporations to adhere to any particular values. I think corporations tend to value profit margins more than pretty much anything else, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why this was so surprising, as you mentioned, after they faced boycotts and backlash for previous pride lines targeting children, to go ahead and add this to the Christmas holiday seems like an unwise decision for a business that has already seen their profits decline because of those choices. I think it's a, a problematic trend, though, among all of corporate America that the Christmas season has become very commercialized and has really lost the underlying meaning, of course, which is the birth of Christ. And having uh, these items that have messages that really run counter to Christianity is uh, just a troubling sign of the times, I think, in society that many people have really lost the real reason for the season, as it said. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of troubling, we have maybe just a minute left, but I, this is what I want to talk about. It's troubling. The National Railroad Museum in Wisconsin received uh, a lot of backlash, too, after it allowed the Satanic Temple to display a tree decorated with things like pentagrams at its annual Christmas tree festival. Christmas, of course, after all, is a Christian holiday, Amber. Yes, the Satanic Temple has been uh, causing all kinds of stirs around the country. They've recently come under fire for trying to add after-school Satan clubs to a number of elementary schools around the country, most notably um, near where I live in Norfolk, Virginia. And they are intentionally trying to divide people and rile people up. And I think it's important to remember that although the people in the Satanic Temple might claim to not believe in Satan and demons and and versus evil, but that doesn't mean that they're not perpetuating it with their actions. And so all of us, I think, need to be careful um, when we see these, these people in action to understand that these things are very real and they have real effects on our lives and to stay far, far away. Absolutely. Amber, great to have you on and great to get your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you.
Well, the Supreme Court continues to face criticism over allegations of ethical lapses by some of its justices. They involve lavish trips and other personal luxuries. Just recently, the court came out with a code of ethics to police themselves. But several Washington think tanks and Democrats say there is no way the justices can do it effectively. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales reports. Eric. Good evening, Tracy. The courts have been under pressure to act ever since a series of reports raised questions about whether the justices were following the rules. Some say that the self-policing system the justices have proposed doesn't inspire much confidence and more needs to be done. In the statement signed by all nine justices, they write, quote, The absence of a code has led in recent years to the misunderstanding that the justices of this court, unlike all other jurists in this country, regard themselves as unrestricted by any ethics rules. To dispel this misunderstanding, we are issuing this code. It requires justices to uphold the integrity and independence of the judiciary and avoid impropriety and the appearance of impropriety in all activities. Editorial boards from Bloomberg to the New York Times claim that's not enough, and Senate Democrats agree. The court's new code of conduct does not appear to contain any meaningful enforcement mechanism to hold justices accountable for any violations of the code. It also leaves a wide range of decisions up to the discretion of individual justices, including decisions on recusal from sitting on cases. Senate Judiciary Committee member Sheldon Whitehouse, who is behind a bill to impose a code of ethics on justices, wrote, quote, The code of ethics is not binding unless there is a mechanism to investigate possible violations and enforce the rules. The honor system has not worked for members of the Roberts Court. But Republicans tell me Congress has no right to intervene in another branch of government. And all Democrats are trying to do is attack the conservative voice. The Supreme Court is a separate functioning branch of government. I, I would have no idea what type of guardrails to put around the Supreme Court. I think that they should police themselves, so to speak. I don't think there's anything broken over there. They're doing something on their own to put an eth uh, ethics kind of platform in place. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think when you focus on the those kinds of issues, that's mostly distraction. That's part of the way the game works here. The saga is far from over. Democrats over in the Senate Judiciary Committee want to subpoena two major wealthy conservatives with ties to Justice Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. Republicans are firing back, proposing more than 150 additional subpoenas targeting donations from liberal individuals and groups to the high court. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, the center of attention. Pope Francis releases his prayer intention for the month of December. Plus, Capitol Hill is ready for the Christmas season with this grand exhibit. Stay tuned to learn more. reported earlier, Pope Francis will not be traveling to Dubai this week, but he was able to release his prayer intention for the month of December. He is asking the faithful to pray for people with disabilities. In the video message, the Holy Father asks that we make people with disabilities the center of attention, saying many of them suffer rejection. He also called for governments and others to add programs to encourage active participation. Well, as November National Adoption Month comes to a close, we remember the words of St. John Paul II to the meeting of adopted families in 2000. To adopt a child is a great work of love. When it is done, much is given, but much 
is also received. It is a true exchange of gifts. According to UNICEF, there are more than 43 million displaced children worldwide. The group cites the wars in Ukraine and Gaza, political and social unrest, along with several natural disasters as causes for high numbers of orphans. And while the situation seems daunting, Lifeline Children's Services is continuing to raise awareness and implore the faithful to take action. And here to share more about the organization's push is Herbie Newell, president and executive director of Lifeline Children's Services. Herbie, good to see you again. I know you have extensive firsthand experience helping vulnerable children throughout the world. Um, talk to us more about that, what the situation is like up close in these communities. Yes, for sure. You know, I, I even look at that message that you just gave from the Holy Father of looking in December at those who are disabled. And what we see is that vulnerable children around the world are those that are in need. They are those who have been disabled, those who have been displaced, those who have been hurt. Uh, and those are the ones that need help. And, you know, as a people of faith, the great thing is it's not just a response for us here in the United States, but it's literally a response for the church around the world to care for those vulnerable children, to care for those children who have lost family members and who don't have a place to belong because of war, disease, sickness, poverty, famine. And as the church, we have a responsibility. And, and I love the quote you said as well from Pope John Paul II, not only are we giving, but we truly are getting a blessing in return as we love these children and show them the love of Christ Jesus. Yeah, it is so important. I, I want to go back to that number that I mentioned earlier, um, 43 million children displaced. That's really heart-wrenching, Herbie. Can you give us a sense maybe what is like, life is like for those children? And is the situation, is it getting any better or is it getting worse in terms of those numbers? Yeah, I would say that those numbers, unfortunately, are not getting better. Uh, as you look around the world, and even here at home, you see so many different reasons why kids are being displaced. And, you know, the, the situation is these are kids that are living on the streets. Uh, the best case scenario for many of these kids is living in institutions. And as we know, living in institution is no home. It's it's It brings some level of security, but it doesn't leave the security that a child needs. And when you really look at the needs of a child, a child has very basic needs, but one of their very most basic needs is knowing that they can trust what tomorrow will bring knowing that that there's going to be someone there to meet their needs. There's going to be consistency, and that consistency in a child uh, builds dependency, and it, it also builds one day independence. And so when children don't have that ability to trust, ability to, to even have relationships where they can grow in, in education, grow in, in, in personally and, and, and emotionally, it really does put a detriment to children. The other thing, unfortunately, with a lot of these controversies we see now in Ukraine and, of course, in Israel, and, and even hearkening back to a guest you had earlier, Unfortunately, we see kids in absolutely uh, abhorring situations because of some of these conflicts, um, living in prison, uh, living in groups, living in, in unsanitary conditions. And so it definitely is something that should spur us on as the church to do something aggressively good. And what I would say is in a justice way, gospel driven. 
Yeah. Harvey, before I let you go, I, I want to talk more about that, how we can get involved. Um, if, if somebody wants to adopt a child, um, how can they do so? I, I know there's a lot of steps that you need to take, but can you maybe talk about what your organization does? And if people need more information, how can they get it? Yeah, absolutely. You can always look us up at lifelinechild.org. Uh, again, that's lifelinechild.org. If you're in the United States, I would be remiss to say, too, most every Catholic diocese has an ability to help you get a home study, uh, to help you get prepared. And that's the first step of any adoption is a home study. It's making sure that you meet the requirements, making sure that you have adequate space. And at Lifeline or your Catholic Diocese, we'd love to walk you through that process to get you ready. And there's really a lot of different options for adoption. I'll just highlight a couple. One is infant adoption domestically. So helping a woman who's going through an unplanned, unwanted pregnancy by providing a home to the child in her womb. The second thing is adopting out of foster care. And so we have almost half a million kids here in the United States living in foster care that need a mom and a dad. They need a home. And so we'd love to help families connect with those. And then international adoption as well. Some of these kids that have been displaced that uh, because of, of war or famine or disaster find themselves without families. We want to help find those kids internationally homes as well where they can get the help that they need. And so we'd love to help. Again, that's lifelinechild.org. On social media, people can find us at Lifeline Child. And then last, I would be remiss if I didn't end. We can all begin to pray. We need to pray on behalf of vulnerable children. We need to pray that, that the God of all gods, the Father to the fatherless truly would be with them, protect them, and hold them until they can find permanence and security. Yeah, absolutely, Herbie. Amen. And thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for all your selfless work. God bless you. God bless you, and thank you. Well, a town in southern Brazil boasts the first church dedicated to Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal. The town in the southern part of Brazil honored Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal with a church dedicated in 1850. Since then, citizens and visitors have received many special graces, including in the 1930s when Our Lady's intercession was credited with ending a prolonged drought. And finally tonight, the Christmas season is getting into full swing on Capitol Hill. The lights are on inside this U.S. Capitol gingerbread house, complete with a train set, skating gingerbread man, and even a snowman riding a sleigh. And if you'd like to see it for yourself, well, it is on display inside the basement of the Cannon Building. Very cool. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.